Well, Smyrna, the second church, on the other hand, was not only praised and encouraged, on the hand... On the other hand, was not only praised, but they were also encouraged by the Lord Jesus Christ here in, in this passage. Now, this church was located, of course, in the town or city of Smyrna. And Smyrna was a rich and prosperous city in I- Ionia, which was 40 miles north of Ephesus. It was one of the finest cities there in Asia at the time and was called the Lovely, the Crown of Ionia, the Ornament of Asia. So this was an important city. This was uh, a special place to be, uh, definitely. And yet this church uh, that was in this city uh, may not have been large or mighty in the world's eyes, but the Lord was pleased with this special church. And so it begs the question, why? Uh, What made this church such that there was no rebuke given and only praise? Why? Well, tonight I want to... Uh, share three aspects of this this church and and definitely we could learn that this was an indeed a healthy church because as the Lord writes to them he, he gives no rebuke he, he basically says this is a healthy church and so what elements of a healthy church do we see in this church at Smyrna well first of all we see number one the encouragement of a healthy church in verse number nine well verse number eight kind of gives the introduction he says um, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. It's good to know that he is the first and the last and that he did die for our sins and that he is not dead any longer, but that he is living today. Uh, I saw a shirt, um, I think it was yesterday at the the air show, and it it had a cross and it said, in memory of, and then he said, oh, that's right, he's alive underneath that. Uh, because normally when you see that, it's in memory of somebody who is still dead. But uh, because the cross was there, it was in memory of, oh, wait, he's still alive. And I'm glad for that truth that we do not serve a dead Savior, but that we serve a risen, living Savior. Amen. Well, then he gets into the encouragement here in verse number 9. He says, I, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. I know the blasphemy of them, which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. So here's what he knew about them. First of all, he knew their works. He knew the things that they did. He knew who they were, and and that is an encouraging thing. It is encouraging to know that uh, we may not be the largest church in America, but God cares about His church, uh, big or small. Uh, God knows our works. Uh, things that may not get, that may not go viral all over the internet. And no one else may know about what is going on here in Moore, Oklahoma through Cornerstone Baptist Church. But I'm telling you, God knows and God cares. Hebrews 6.10, here the writer of Hebrews says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward His name. And the minister to the saints and do minister. In other words, God won't forget all the things that we do for His name. Things that no one else notices. No one may give us a pat on the back. No one may uh, say publicly thank you. Or maybe uh, no one ever even knows that we do it. But God does. And He will never forget it. He has perfect records. And they're very meticulous and complete. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul's 
writing to the church at Corinth, reminding them of the fact that there is a judgment day for believers and that we are going to have to give an account at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ one day. And he says in, in, in chapter 3, verse 13, he says, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So the things that we do for the Lord that no one else sees, one day it's going to be made manifest. One day it's going to be declared. And uh, that's an encouragement, of course, to keep going, to keep serving, to keep uh, working for the Lord. And so as he tries to encourage this church, he basically says, look, I, I see what you're doing. I know. And of course, that's a reference to the omniscience and omnipresence of God is he knows and he sees everything that goes on. He cares about what goes on in this little old church in Moore, Oklahoma on Main Street, even in 2019. Oh, maybe we don't have a huge uh, Facebook following. Maybe we don't have a, a huge uh, attendance, but I'm telling you, God cares and God knows. I'm thankful for that. And that's what he said to the church there at Smyrna. He said, look, I, I know your works. And then he also said, I, I know your suffering. I know your suffering. He said, I know thy works and tribulation. The fact of the matter is they experience great tribulation. You know, as I think about the suffering that, and, and maybe it is hashtag first world problems here in in 2019 and, and the struggles that our church has faced over the 72 years in our history, it, it really is first world problems. It, it's, you know, we've had some issues, no doubt, and they've been, they've been difficult, uh, but, but not like some of these first churches, first century churches where uh, they were arrested and burned and, and tortured for, for Christ. And I'm thankful that we haven't had any of that, and I don't really want to experience that if I can help it. Um, but I do know that we have had some difficulties in the past, and, and God knows about all of those. He knows our tribulation. He knows the suffering that we go through, uh, not only as a church, but also in our individual lives. He knows. Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, went through a lot of different Old Testament characters, right? And those who, by faith, did different things. And as the writer of Hebrews wraps up that whole book, or that whole chapter, he kind of says, look, time's going to fail me to talk of all of these people. I'd like to write, but this is going to be a very long chapter. So I'm going to wrap it up with this. He said, I think of the, those who quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were, were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Uh, women who received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Oh, and others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. And then he says in this parenthesis there, if you remember this passage of Scripture, says, of whom the world was not worthy. People who experience tribulation and suffering. And the writer of Hebrews says, look, this, this world is not even worthy. They should, we should be in their presence. 
And they wandered in dark deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And all of this, the Lord says, I know. It's encouraging to know when you're going through a difficult time that someone who can do something about it and who cares more than we can grasp, that he simply says, I know. And uh, I, I remember when, when, when people who went through, and I, I've mentioned this many, many times, that uh, my mom passed, passed away when she was only 44. I was 21 years of, of age. And I remember uh, others who had gone through something similar and said, I know. I know what it's like. And that was great comfort. And, of course, one of the reasons that God allows us to go through difficulties and challenges is so that we can be a source of comfort and blessing to others. But I'm glad that God says, I know, and he knows what it's like to suffer, by the way. No one suffered more than Jesus Christ did when he became our sin and bore the brunt of all of the wrath of God for us on the cross of Calvary. So he knows what it's like to suffer. And so I can imagine this being a very comforting thing for them to hear that Jesus knows all about our struggles. Jesus knows. I'm glad for that. So he knew their works. He knew their suffering. And he also knew their wealth. Verse number nine, again, I know thy works, tribulation and poverty. And then he says, but thou art rich. So he said, I know you're poor, but you're rich. And this is interesting that he would say this to this church. Now, this church must have been, again, remember we mentioned Smyrna was a very wealthy, affluent society. This church wasn't, though. This church didn't quite fit in. This church uh, was struggling to make ends meet. They didn't have all the bells and whistles. They didn't have all the latest, greatest. And the Lord said, I, I know your poverty. And then he says, but thou art rich. In other words, you may think you're poor, and you are poor maybe materially, and, and, and of things that are of earthly value, but I'm telling you, you're rich in my eyes, and you're wealthy in my eyes. The Bible's open here to Revelation chapter 2. Look in chapter 3. Let's compare this with another church, one of the churches we'll get to here in a few weeks. Verse number 17, well, verse 14 tells us which church this is, the church of the Laodiceans. Verse number 17 here, Jesus says, Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increase with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind and naked. So you could say that the Laodiceans were a rich church that was poor. But the, Smyrna, the church at Smyrna was a poor church that was rich. And do you see the difference? And in God's eyes, is it more important to be rich on earth, or is it more important to be rich with eternal things? Obviously, to be rich towards that which is eternal. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 Uh, Jesus would know what it's like. He said, I know thy poverty. Again, he knows what it's like to be poor. Here's what 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty 
might be rich. So here's the question for all of us that we need to ask ourselves. Are we striving to be rich in earthly things or are we striving to be rich in eternal things? I'm not saying it's wrong to be rich with, the, with earthly things. God many times chooses to bless those materially so that we can give more, so that we can be a blessing to others more. But if that's what our whole focus in life is, is to get uh, rich and wealth with earthly things, I'm telling you, we're chasing the wrong value system. We need to be chasing things. We need to be rich towards eternal things. Jesus said, lay not up yourselves treasures upon earth. Because moth and rust will corrupt. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Because those things will never lose its value, will never be corrupted. And so as Jesus here uh, looks at this church, he sees a church that is poor materially but is rich towards the things that are eternal. And I want to encourage our church. God has blessed our church materially. I mean, we have a beautiful building with air conditioning that's working. Some of you may think it's working too good right now. Um, But it is working, and uh, we have a beautiful building here. We have a great gymnasium over there. We've got a couple vans. God's blessed us. And uh, we shouldn't feel guilty about that, but we better make sure that we're not relying upon the physical blessings. We're chasing the things that matter for all of eternity. Spiritual growth, the souls of men. Those are the things that we need to be wealthy in. So Jesus is encouraging them and he says, look, I know your works. I know your suffering. I know your wealth. And, and then fourthly, I, I know your enemies. He knew their enemies. Again, verse number number 9. I know thy works, tribulation, poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. He knew their enemies. And their enemies weren't necessarily these people, ultimately, because uh, he does say, I know the blasphemy of them. But then he goes on and really names the, 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 the real enemy. The real enemy isn't these these supposed Jews, these uh, Jews who were acting. It was honestly Satan here. At the end of the verse it says, and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. And Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 6, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. He reminds us that our enemies are not flesh and blood. My enemy isn't anybody in this room. Not that you thought it was, or you were. (laughs) You're all my friends. But again, as I mentioned last Sunday night, when we talked about the fact that there is a Satan, there is an enemy. He's not our boss. He's not even the Democrats. They're the biggest enemy ever. No, it's Satan. Satan is our enemy. He's the one who we are against. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion. Now, the word devil and Democrats do start with the same letter. I'm not going to get into that, though. Um, we'll keep moving here. 
as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. By the way, Satan will use everything he can to try to devour us, to try to destroy us. And we mentioned that last week. We focused a little bit on the sin that God or the devil tries to get us to go into. Sometimes, Brother Terry and I were talking after church this morning, that the devil even used religion. And he has used quite a bit of religion over the centuries to cause people to go the wrong direction and away from God. It goes all the way back even to Cain and Abel. Uh, I want to worship God my way. I know better than God, so I'm going to do it my way. And uh, religion can cause people to go astray, and that's what was happening here in this church. Now, I don't think it was uh, there in the church, but there were people outside the church that were trying to bring this into the church. And uh, they weren't going to have it, and, and uh, the Lord knew about uh, the enemies that were there. You know, Jesus, uh, the Lord talks about uh, religious people who uh, are religious uh, deceivers. And uh, he saves his, uh, his most strong language for these people. It isn't necessarily for the a woman caught in adultery. It isn't even the, the woman who he meets at the well who's involved in in uh, immoral lifestyle there, who's had five husbands, and the one who she's shacked up with right now is not her husband. He doesn't, he doesn't blast those people. He blasts the, the, the religious zealots who are teaching false doctrine. Here's what he calls them in, in the Word of God. He calls them wolves in sheep clothing. He calls them a generation of vipers. He calls them children of the devil. He doesn't really hold any punches, does he? He lets him have it. He wants the church to be pure doctrinally. And I want to encourage Cornerstone Baptist Church. Let's protect the doctrinal purity that we have here at our church. I I want to reach out into our community with the gospel. Don't get me wrong. But I want to make sure that we lift up truth before we... Let's never compromise truth in order to get people to come in and and hear the gospel. Uh, Truth is of most importance. And so, as as the Lord writes to the church at Smyrna, He gives them some encouragements. He knows. He knows what they've gone through. He knew about their works. He knew their suffering. He knew their wealth. And He knew the enemies that they were facing. But I want to see, secondly, tonight, the endurance of a healthy church. Look in verse number... 10, he says, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried. You shall have tribulation ten days, be thou faithful unto death. The endurance of a healthy church. I see here, first of all, there's a promise to suffer. Uh, God here gives them a promise that they're going to suffer. Again, I love the promises of God, but not so much these type of promises. I like the promise of eternal life and the fact that the Holy Spirit is going to reside within me and, and uh, you know, get to walk on streets of gold someday and spend eternity. In, I, I love those other ones, but the ones about suffering are not my favorite. But yet they're still in the Bible, and we need to understand that. 
And he tells them, look, you're going to suffer. Look in, look in verse 10 that the word shall or shalt is, uh, is here several different times, uh, three times in this one verse alone. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil, devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. And ye shall have you tribulation ten days. So it's a promise. God says it's, it's going to happen. So you better, get, you better buckle up and get ready. It's coming. In Cornerstone Baptist Church, there's going to be times when we are as a church are going to suffer. 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus, again, shall have an easy life. <laughs> I wish that's what it said, don't you? That's not what it says, though, is it? It says, all those that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. John 16, verse 33, it was Jesus himself who said this, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. James 1, 2, marvel, my brethren, I'm sorry, my, my brethren, count it all joy if you fall into diverse temptations. Again, I wish the word if was there, but it's not. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. So as individuals, there's going to be times where we go into difficulties. And it was the Apostle John, again, the human author of Revelation. He also wrote 1 John, and he said in chapter 3, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. And uh, that's definitely what, was that what the church at Smyrna was experiencing. The world hated this church. And the world was persecuting this church. And John says, look, don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. Don't go on Facebook going, I can't believe it. The world hates me as a believer. I can't believe it. Oh, it's so tough. John says, marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Don't act all like surprised if it happens. Because the world doesn't love the fact that we hold to the true gospel. This suffering that they were going to pro that they were promised here was a temporary suffering. Sec uh, look here in verse number ten again. Fear none of those things which thou, thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. So it's a temporary suffering, and, and all the suffering we we experience as believers is temporary at best. I really, and it may last from here until the, the end of your life. But praise the Lord, as believers, any suffering we experience is just temporary. Because as we pass from this life into the next, I'm telling you, what lies on the other side has zero suffering and only joy. Second Corinthians 4, verse number 17, Paul says to this church, For our light affliction." which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but are the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This promise that uh, God gave here to this church, Smyrna, that they would suffer was actually fulfilled. Uh, at least we have a record of part of that fulfillment. The year was A.D. 155. The persecution against Christians swept across the Roman Empire and came to this city of Smyrna. 
the proconsul or the governor of Smyrna swept up in this persecution, put out an order that the bishop of Smyrna, anybody know what his name was? Polycarp. Was to be found, arrested, and brought to the public arena, not for applause, but for execution. Well, they eventually found Polycarp and brought him before thousands of spectators screaming for blood. But the proconsul had compassion on this man who was almost 100 years old. He signaled the crowd to silence. And to Polycarp, he said, Curse the Christ and live. The crowd waited for the old man to, to answer. In an amazingly strong voice, this old man said, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How dare I blaspheme the name of my King and Lord? And with that, Polycarp became a martyr. So as the Lord here promised that they would suffer, it indeed happened. Polycarp was killed. He was the pastor. It would be equivalent to Someone finding me at my house and saying, all right, Eric, it's time to die. You're leading this group of people to believe in this Jesus. It's time to perish. Unless you say that I don't believe in Christ and he's a farce. What would I do? Boy, I hope I would say the right thing in that moment. I'm thankful for the courage of Polycarp and his strong faith in that moment. So we see here the, the promise of their, of, to suffer. And then secondly, here the purpose of their suffering. Verse 10 again says, uh, Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried. Many times God allows us to go through trials just to test us to see how strong our faith is. And again, he knows how strong our faith is. It's for us to see how strong our faith is. When Abraham was tested there to, in Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son, the Lord knew what he was going to do because he's God. But Abraham, it, was, it was to show Abraham how strong Abraham was. Many times he allows us to go through trials to show us how important our faith is to us. Remember Job? Job suffered quite a bit, didn't he? Job 23, verse number 10. Here's the comment that Job had when he looked and thought about his suffering that he was going through. He said, He knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. If you're here this morning, we sang a beautiful song, Rejoice in the Lord. And the idea was, many times we go through difficulty. And, and in that song, we learn about the sovereignty of God, allowing trials into our life. But one of the purposes of trials is to cause us to grow and cause us to uh, be better and to come forth as gold. Real gold, when it is tried, when it is going through the furnace and the heat, it is purified. And when we go through the suffering, times of suffering, it's not comfortable. I get it. I get it's hot. I get the, the fact that it's not fun. But it purifies us. It purges some things that need to be purged. And we come forth a more pure vessel for God's honor and glory. So the purpose of their suffering. 
And then thirdly, here the, the prescription for their suffering. What did he tell them to do? Well, again, verse 10, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. He shall have tribulation ten days. And then he says these three words, Be thou faithful. Be thou faithful. You're going to experience suffering. You're going to experience trials and tribulations in this life. What is our response? Uh, what, what is the prescription here that we need to follow? Be thou faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 2. Paul says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found successful and happy. Uh, again, I wish that's what it said. It says that a man be found faithful. Look, we don't have to be successful, and, and we're not going to gar- be guaranteed that we're always going to be happy, and the circumstances are always going to be exactly the way we like them to be. But God, in spite of all that, wants us to be faithful. Don't quit. Hang in there. I read this, this story that, uh, that spoke to my heart here, and I'd like to share it with you at this time. An elderly preacher was rebuked by one of his deacons one Sunday morning before the service. Pastor, said the man, something must be wrong with your preaching and your work. There's only been one person out of the church an entire year, and he's just a boy. The minister listened, and his eyes moistening and his thin hand trembling. He replied, I I feel it all. But God knows I've tried to do my duty. On that day, the minister's heart was, of course, heavy as he stood before his flock. As he finished the message, he felt a strong inclination to resign. After everyone else had left, that one boy that had joined that church that year came to him and asked, Preacher, do you think if I worked hard for an education, I could become a preacher too? Perhaps a missionary? Again, tears welled up in the minister's eyes. Ah, this heals the ache that I feel, he said. Robert, I I see the divine hand now. May God bless you, my boy. Yes, I I think you will become a preacher. Many years later, an aged missionary returned to London from Africa. His name was spoken with reverence. Nobles had invited him to their homes. He had added many souls to the church of Jesus Christ, reaching even some of Africa's most savage chiefs. His name? was Robert Moffat, the same Robert who years before had spoken to the pastor that Sunday morning in that old Scottish kirk. Lord, help us to be faithful and give us the grace to leave the results to you. Let's wrap it up tonight with number three, the ending of a healthy church. Verse number 10 again at the end of the verse, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. So the ending of a healthy church, as they endure these uh, tribulations and trials that they experience, what's going to happen? Well, they're going to share, first of all, in Christ's cross. Be thou faithful unto death. Again, the Lord knows what it's like to experience death. Even being innocent. There was no one more innocent than Jesus Christ. And yet he experienced a torturous death on the cross of Calvary. Philippians 2, 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, 
made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So he was faithful to the very end and experienced death. I don't know that that's going to happen for us in our generation, but it may eventually happen. I mean, we may be... uh, three or four elections away from that happening. Uh, it's possible. Um, I don't think it's possible under this current administration, but you never know. Would you decide to share in Christ's cross? It would be an incredible honor to be a martyr for Christ. Not something that I think anybody would sign up for. If we had a sign-up sheet out in the back and said, please sign up to be a martyr tonight. I would think tomorrow morning as I come in and look at the sign-up sheet, I I doubt I would see any names. But if you were called upon, would you do it? What an honor it would be to die for Christ. He's not asking you at this moment, though, to die for Him. He's asking you to live for Him. So would you do that? Because that is what He's asking you to do at this moment. But this church, Smyrna, they would share in Christ's cross. But not only that, and I'm thankful that it doesn't end there, but that they would also share in Christ's crown. At the end of the verse, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. The Bible teaches us that there are five different crowns given to the believer during the judgment seat of Christ. Not so that we can walk around and boldly and uh, brag about how many crowns we have or which one we do have. But so that one day we can bow down and present our crowns before Jesus Christ and say, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. And so one of those crowns is the crown of life. It's the martyr's crown. It's those who have died for the faith and have stayed faithful in spite of tremendous tribulation and trials. James 1.12 also mentions this particular crown. It says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. The martyr's crown. I, I suppose if there's one crown that I don't necessarily want, it, it would be this one. But if the Lord chooses, I hope that I would be faithful unto death, and that I would one day wear that if I was called upon. The ending of a healthy church. The church of Smyrna was one of two that did not ever receive any rebukes or chastisement from the Lord. Why? Well, because they were faithful. And uh, I want to encourage our church to be faithful. To hold to the doctrinal purity that God wants us to hold to. To be faithful in times of t- trial and tribulation. And again, I know we've gone through, and even uh, as of late, we've gone through a few trials as a church in recent years. And I'm thankful that at the moment, uh, there's not a lot of trials that we're going through. And I'm glad for that. But I guarantee there's going to be times in the future that we're going to go through some difficulties. Let's be faithful. Uh, let's not be shocked. And let's hang in there. And not quit in times of difficulty. Let's pray together tonight. Lord, thank you for the church at Smyrna. 
Thank you for the letter that you wrote them, and thank you for the lessons we can learn. Help us, Lord, to take heed to the things we talked about tonight. Help us, Lord, to be faithful.